You are listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church on Sunday, March 12, 2023. For more information about SVBC, visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or find them on all things social at svbcfamily. On the water. You're more than just a man. That's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about this is one of my very favorite stories in the New Testament. I've got a I got a favorite scripture, Isaiah forty thirty one. Got a favorite chapter, Isaiah fifty three. That's really cool about our Bible study we're doing Sunday school. I love the book of Isaiah. But one of my very favorite stories in the New Testament is Jesus walking on the water. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 14, 22 through 33. And by the way, I t- it's just as a promise, I wore my Starry Night shirt. This is Van Gogh. This isn't some, some kind of strange. It is Van Gogh, I promise. But, but, it, but it's, uh, and actually, when, when, I, when I bought it, and of course, Sue says, oh, that's an ugly shirt. But I put it, she said, you know, it's, 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 it doesn't look bad. So I was pretty... The, I like the cows. So, see, when I was a when I did children's ministry, I was at a church where you 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 would never believe this, but I used to wear a tie every single Sunday. And I know Barbara's over there. I wish you would now, but 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 it's just it's. It, but I had a collection of really odd ties. I mean, that was my thing. I collected ties, so I'm kind of like reigniting that 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 love of the the, the strange things, and it's I'm just finding these cool shirts. Amazon is a cool thing. I'm telling you what, you can find anything on Amazon. You can even put a masterpiece on your back. I mean, where else can you do that? I mean, that's awesome. But stepping out of the book. Am I on? I am not. I turned myself off. Actually, I'm still not working. Yeah, that's David. That's David helping me out. Actually, I want to start out not even with Matthew. We're going to start and we're going to end with this. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. It'll all make sense toward the end, I promise. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. We're called to trust the Lord with everything, with all of our heart, and leading not on our own understanding. Why is that so important? We can see where this is going. Peter's going to be walking on water soon. But lean not in your understanding. Has God ever called you to do something that didn't make sense for you to do? My guess is he probably has. Have you, ever, have you ever really thought about a relationship with Christ? Is that really even within our own understanding, this connection we have with God through a relationship with Messiah Jesus? It, it, it doesn't make sense in our own understanding. So we're required to have faith in the one he sent, not because of our own understanding, but through his own. We have to have trust and we have to have faith in God for this relationship. Which 
was it? Here we go. So now let's look at old Peter. First of all, let's think about the context of this story. What happens in Matthew immediately before this cool story of Jesus walking on water? Jesus had just fed at least 5,000 people with a couple of loaves and fish. We know it was at least 5,000 because it was, it was kind of the thing of the day, kind of the thing in the culture. They counted the men. You know, so there was 5,000 men. Well, you know, they, these men probably, they may have had wives, they may have had children. So it would not surprise me, and I don't think it's a stretch to say he probably fed between 15 and 20,000 people with a few loaves and fish. You know, think about that for a second, a few loaves and fish. We know at least five, but it was, it was probably way more than just 5,000. Just saying just 5,000, that doesn't even, that, that just, just 5,000 with a couple of loaves and fish. So Christ had just done a really cool thing. So now, this, let's pick it up here in Matthew 14, 22 and 23. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. What crowd was it? It was the, it was the at least 5,000 that we're talking about here. He, Jesus stayed behind, and he's, 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 I guess, wrapping things up and you know, giving his final words, you know, high-fiving people, whatever, whatever he was doing. He was dismissing the crowd. The, the crowd. You know, you, you, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. You, 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 it might have been that kind of thing. I don't know. But Jesus was dismissing the crowd. He sends his disciples ahead of him on the boat. But it says, after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. So the disciples are gone for a while now. He's dism- I don't know how long it takes to dismiss 5,000 plus people. But once he, he, just, he dismissed them, now he goes up on the mountainside and he's praying and he's all by himself. Thank you. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Think about this. This... The disciples left long before Jesus did. They're on this, this body of water. The, the waves are pro- the, the wind is up, the waves are beating them. This little boat is being thrown all over the place. And now Jesus goes out and he meets them. He doesn't like poof in the boat. He's walking to them on the water. I, I, I mean, think about that. We've talked about. I've talked about how God is not even bound by natural law. Well, here's an example of that. You and I, we're bound by natural law. You know, we, if, we, if I would jump off here, I'm going to hit the ground. You know, that, that's natural law. It's gravity. It just happens. But Jesus was not bound by that. He is walking on water. You know, that, that, that is, that, that's just mind-boggling in itself. But, but the disciples now... The disciples saw him walking in the lake, and they were terrified. Would that scare you just a little bit? That would scare me just a little bit. I mean, I think the Loch Ness Monster would have caught my attention maybe a little bit less than some guy walking to me on the water to my boat. That would catch my attention. I could see why they they would have been terrified. And what did they say? It's a ghost. So now they think it's a ghost walking to them. On the water, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, "Take courage; it is I. 
Don't be afraid. Have you ever been in a storm? Not necessarily a real one. Not like, like being on the boat with waves and stuff. Has your life ever felt like it was in the middle of a storm? In the middle of a hurricane, maybe? Where it just feels like you're being bounced from side to side, place to place. You know, it feels like the, the boat that you're in you know, is getting ready to go down, you know, because the waves. Have you ever, has life just ever just, just, just beat you down in such a way that you thought that the storm was going to swallow you up? It's just going to take you down. Have you ever felt that way? I think if we're honest with ourselves, at some point, all of us have been in that storm. All of us have been in that place. And if we cried out in fear, we often cry out in fear. But I'm telling you, in the midst of your storm, Jesus is saying, take courage. Take courage. It is I. What is he saying? I am with you. What did Jesus say? I am with you even till the end of time, even till the end of the age. So in your storm, in your storm in life, and this is a literal storm, this is a physical storm. They're in a boat, they're probably afraid that they're going to drown, and now this guy they think is a ghost is walking up. And Jesus said, no, it's me. Take courage. Be, be, be. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. I got you. I'm here. How often do we need to hear that in their storms in their lives? Because I'm telling you, if you're experiencing a storm, Jesus is still in your life in a supernatural way, even way more cool than walking on water. Especially if you're a believer and you have the Holy Spirit living inside you. Jesus is saying, take courage, I'm here. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm not going to leave you to drown. I'm not going to leave you in the storm. Don't be afraid. Oh, Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. I love Peter. I get Peter. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked in the water, and came toward Jesus. You know, we all, we all probably know the, where the story goes. We're going to read about it in a second. You know, Peter starts looking at the storm, and he, and he, he loses faith, and he goes down in the water. But I think Peter gets a really bad rap in this story a lot. You know, we like to focus on the fact that Peter, you know, took his eyes off Jesus and started to drown. Peter's the only one that, that had the faith to step out on the water in the first place. Can you imagine? Would I be the one? I've always kind of, we always try to find a character in the Bible or a person in the Bible that you kind of relate to. And I've always liked Peter, but this would not be me. I would not be the guy that says, okay, let me walk on water too. That takes a lot of faith. But here's the, the message I get from this, though. 
even those of us who are strong in our faith, sometimes the storm catches our attention and we lose focus, which we're going to talk about. Peter did a crazy awesome thing here. Bid me to come out. Let me walk on water too. Let me come to you. And here's the thing about Jesus, folks. Every time you ask him to do something like that, let me, let me come to you, know his answer always is, come. Come. There is, I can promise you there will never be any time in your life that you ask Jesus to let me come to you and he's going to say no. It's not going to happen. Jesus will never tell you, don't come to me. But when you say, Lord, let me come, he will always say come. Because he's always there. He always wants you to come. Jesus always wants you to meet him where he is. Jesus always wants to be with you. That is an amazing thing. But here's what we were talking about. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and and he started to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and called him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? You of little faith, why did you doubt? I probably wouldn't have had the faith to have asked Jesus that bid me to come out under the water. But I do get some of Jesus' questions here. What did, Peter, what did Peter see earlier that day? He saw Jesus feed thousands of people with a couple of loaves and fish. Who else could do that but God himself? Nobody else is going to do that. Nobody else can do that. So now all of a sudden, you're, you're in this place You're on this boat, you're being tossed about, and you see that same Jesus walking on the water. You see him walking on the water, and and, and you even have the, the, the oomph to say, let me come out. But what then would cause him a man of that kind of faith? I wish I had Peter kind of faith. What would cause him now to start to sink? What would cause him to now for Jesus to say, oh, you have little faith? Why did you doubt? You just saw two really cool things. And he saw a lot of cool things even before we got to the feeding of the, of the 5,000. Why would you doubt now? What did you just see? What just happened? What did you just do? You were walking on water, your very self. What would cause you to doubt? He started looking around. He started looking around at what was going on. It is so easy when we are overwhelmed to look at the problem and to stop looking at the Savior. It is so easy to start focusing on all of the problems associated with the storm and take our eyes off the guy walking on water. 
It's easy to do. I don't stand here and it's like, oh, you have little faith. That's not me. That's not what I'm doing. It is almost our default to, to, to start getting wrapped into the storm. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Even if I was walking on water, all of a sudden, if I was seeing the waves and I was seeing what the wind was doing to the waves, wouldn't it be easy to take your eyes off Jesus in that kind of storm? I think it would be. What other kind of storms? What other kind of storms have we gone through? If you're a parent and you've raised kids, you've been in storms. I can tell you that for sure. And I can tell you my parents went through storms because they had me. I mean, it's just not, I'm, my kids are probably, you know, you reap what you sow. <laughs> you, you know, the, the, the things that my kids, when they were growing up, I'm, I, I reap what I sowed. My poor parents. But fortunately, when he was in the storm, he cried out, Lord, save me. Other storms. Finances were such a big storm in so many lives. Do you know why more young people, actually people, period, you know why more people get divorced? It's fighting over what? Money. I mean, we all don't have Eric Savvy when it comes to money. Smart guy. Writes books on the stuff. You don't have his books, buy his books. You'll be blessed. We have so many of us, myself included, have been in financial wreckage at one point in our lives. Why? Because we make poor choices. We buy stuff we shouldn't buy. We do stuff we shouldn't do. We want to live in ways that beyond our means. Financial storms. Relationship storms. Relationships with friends, relationships with spouse, relationship with children. Doesn't matter. Relationships always have storms. Is it so easy? <coughs> it's so easy that when we're fighting with someone else to stop paying attention to Jesus. It's easy. It's so easy when the bill collectors are ringing off our phone and you're dodging the repo guy to take your eyes off Christ. It is so easy in the storms of our lives to take, up, take our eyes off the one person, <clears throat> the one God who can save us from the storm. <clears throat> it's so easy to take our focus off of him. So easy. But Peter still gets it right. Even after he starts to lose faith, and he sinks. How's, what's his response? Lord, save me. I can assure you, if you're in any of the storms that I've mentioned right now, everybody here, I'm sure, is in a storm. And if you're not, God bless you because it's coming. I'm not trying to be a henny penny. I'm a realist. If you're not in the storm right now, it's coming. 
in your storm now or in your future storm, when you lose faith and you begin to sink because you lose your focus, I assure you that when you say, Lord, save me, your Jesus will. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. And when they climbed in the boat, the wind died down. Let's stop there for a second. When Jesus and Peter got in the boat together, the wind died down. The storm came to an end when Jesus and Peter got into the boat together. Is that significant? I think it is. In our storm, we see Jesus doing crazy, awesome things like walking on water. We may even in the beginning say, Lord, let me come out there. Let me be with you. But even when we start to sink, we cry out, Lord, save me. Not only does he save me, he calms the storm. What's there another place in the Bible to say, even the wind and the waves, listen to this guy. Even the wind and the waves pay attention to him. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. You know, we get, so many times in our life, we get that Jesus is Messiah. We get he is the promised one. We get that he is the anointed one. We get that he is the Son of God. We get that. But then as we progress through life, we tend to forget it. They did. How many times did they see Jesus do super cool things and they still, after he did something else, they, they proclaimed, truly, you are the Son of God, like it was some kind of a new revelation. I'm like that sometimes. Sometimes after God's bailed me out of something, even though I know God's bailed me out of a lot of things, I know God has protected me in places where, where only he could protect me. I know God has brought me through things and saved me when nobody else could save me. Sometimes when God does something crazy awesome, it's almost like a revelation even to me. Jesus, you really are the Son of God. Like it's a new revelation. Mm. I want to look at three points here. Where is your focus? <coughs> We've been talking about this, but where is your focus? What are you looking at right now in your storm? What is your focus? What are you looking to? Are you looking at the storm? Are you looking at the surroundings? Are you looking at the bills? Are you looking at the strained relationship in your family? Are you looking at, at the strained situation you have at work? Whatever that storm is, are you looking to Christ or are you looking at the storm? What is your focus? Because I can promise you, as surely as I'm standing here, if your focus is the problem, you're going to drown. You're going down. You're going down. 
If your focus is in the wrong place, you're going down. Here's this fancy word that I started using in the seminary. I just love it. I don't use very many $10,000 words, but I love this one. Christocentric. Isn't that a cool word? Christocentric. What does that mean? Christ-centered. Christocentric. Christ-centered. If your focus is Christocentric, he's going to save you. He's going to calm the storm. Let me tell you about my Jesus. I've said this a few times in the last few weeks, but it's important to get my Jesus is more faithful and consistent than natural law. My Jesus does not fail. My Jesus does not waver. My Jesus does not sleep. My Jesus sits at the right hand of my Father, and he advocates for me 24-7. My Jesus sits at the right hand of my Father and advocates for every single one of you 24-7. There is but one advocate between God and man, and it's Jesus. He is the high priest. He is your advocate. Because of Jesus, there's no longer separation between us and God. Can you grasp that for a second? In the Old Testament, my beloved Old Testament, God would reveal himself in places. In the Holy of Holies, the Shekinah presence, the physical presence of God would show up. But because of Jesus, that, that holy of holies, that place where only the high priest could go and experience the presence of God in a way that nobody else in his time could do, we learn that when Jesus died, that great big gigantic curtain that protected us, that separated us from the Holy of Holies, it tore from the top, not where any man could reach without a ladder. It tore from the top to the bottom. Because of my Jesus, the curtain, the separation between me and my Father no longer exists. He tore that thing from top to bottom. Because of my Jesus, the guy who walks on water and rescues me when I'm drowning, he tore that, that, that veil, he tore that curtain from top to bottom, and I can enter into the presence of my Father even now. That is something to be excited about. You want to know something cool about every single believer in this room and every single believer out there? that nobody in the Old Testament got to experience, this is another cool thing. And again, God housed or tabernacled in places. You want to know, after the resurrection of Christ and at, the giving, at Pentecost, do you want to know where he tabernacles now? Where he houses himself now? The Holy Spirit lives in you. 
My Jesus made that possible. He's told, he told his, his followers, it's good for me to go away because I'm going to send another one. I'm going to send a comforter. Somebody who's with you 24-7. Here's the thing. You can't get away from God. There are people who thought they could. Did Jonah think he was going to get away from God? When he, when he was given marching orders to go to Nineveh and preach against it, and where did he want to go? He wanted to head to Tarshish. What was Tarshish? In his, in his world, it was the farthest place he could go. He was going to try to get away. You can't get away from God. Well, believers now, you think you can get away from God? If you're a believer, he lives in you. He tabernacles in you because of my Jesus. Where is your focus? If your focus is the will of the Father, praying to his Son through his Holy Spirit, your focus is in the right place and you won't drown. Not when your focus is where it needs to be. Intuitive versus counterintuitive. What in the world is that? If I was Peter, my intuitive action in the storm would have been to stay in the boat. But sometimes we need to trust God to do the counterintuitive thing the thing that doesn't make sense. G or Peter got, in a, a counterintuitive way, that the best place to be was with Jesus on the water. I would dare say that when Peter's focus was where it needed to be, Christocentric, I love that word, the safest place was standing on the water with Jesus. I would dare say that the other disciples in the boat were in more danger. The people doing the intuitive thing were in more danger than Peter, who did the counterintuitive thing to step out on the water to be with Jesus. Sometimes, we need to do what doesn't feel like the, the thing that makes sense. Sometimes we need to trust God when it doesn't make sense. Sometimes we need to ask Jesus to help us do incredible supernatural things when it doesn't make sense. Intuitive versus counterintuitive. Sometimes the intuitive thing is a dangerous thing. Active shooter training. One of the things I've learned over the years, in many, many years of counter or of, of active shooter training, is that the intuitive thing when confronting an armed person is not the safest thing. If, there, if you're in a hallway with an active shooter, your intuitive thing is to go to the wall. I've seen it in training. When you get in real live training where people are like you're shooting blanks or shooting like sim rounds where you're actually going to get hit and it hurts, 
when you enter into that conflict, your natural intuition wants to go to the wall because you think it's the safest place. You're making yourself the skinniest. You're on the, you're on the wall. That seems like the safest place. You want to know where the safest place is in an active shooter situation when you're in a hallway? The center of the hallway. The counterintuitive thing is to stand in the middle of the hallway and confront the enemy. Why is, what's the deal with that? Well, let me tell you what we've learned in active shooter situations. Bullets travel down walls. They don't have to point it directly at you. If it hits the right angle and it's the right kind of wall, particularly concrete walls, that bullet will go straight down that wall. So when you're trying to go to the safe place, the intuitive place, you're putting yourself in the way of the bullet. The safest place is to stand in the middle of the hallway and confront your enemy. The intuitive thing would have been to stay in the boat. The counterintuitive thing is to ask Jesus, let me come to you. Sometimes that's what we need to do, even when it doesn't make sense. Trust. We need to trust. We need to trust God. We need to trust our Jesus. Jesus has never done anything to any of us or anyone to violate our trust. In Sunday school, we're looking hard in the book of Isaiah. Hitting hard. At, we're going to be hitting Isaiah for a long time. Love the book of Isaiah. But we were talking about the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy. The holiness of God. A big piece of holiness. It's not all of it. We're not going to get into this definition of everything holiness is. But it's never sinning and never dropping the ball. So because God is holy, 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 he is perfect. Your Jesus is deserving of your trust because he has never let you down. Not once. Your Father in heaven is deserving of your trust because he has never let you down. Your gut might tell you different. You may have lost something or someone. I know someone who lost a child and he said he hated God because God took his child. God didn't take his child. We live in a fallen world where death happens. God didn't take his child. But the intuitive thing is to blame God and to not trust him. But we need to trust him, do the counterintuitive thing, and to place our trust where trust is due. God has never failed. If God ever failed once, he wouldn't be God. If God ever lied once, he would not be God. If God ever made a promise and he broke that promise, he would not be God. He would just have to cease to exist as God. But he is faithful 
He is just. He is worthy of your trust, even in the storm. Even when you're feeling the waves, and you're feeling the, and the waves and the wind, and you're feeling the pressure, and you're feeling the, 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 the ugliness that comes with the stuff that happens in life, God is worthy of your trust because He has never failed. Never failed. Never failed. Have I failed? I fail all the time. Never look to a person to fill a place that only God can fill. Don't look to me to, to be the, the ultimate spiritual guide because I'm going to let you down. I am. I'm human. Don't look for a person to fill a void <coughs> that only God can fill. God is worthy of your trust because He is that good. The goodness of my God. All my life you have been faithful. We sang that. All my life you have been faithful. God has always been faithful. He has always been faithful to Israel. He has always been faithful to His people. He has been faithful to every single one of us that have called His name, even when we have been unfaithful. God is worthy of your trust. Let's go back to this proverb. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways submit to Him and He will make your path straight. Let's tie this thing together. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do the counterintuitive thing. In all your ways, submit to Him, and He will calm your storm. That's amazing. What is your storm? <laughs> 